Hey everyone, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, and uh, this week we're going to be wrapping up our series on fruitology, but before uh, I kind of get too far into it, because of the subject matter, I feel like there's something I really have to kind of confess to you guys and get off my chest. It's something that I've been uh, personally struggling with for about 10 years. Um, I really want my beach body back. Uh, we have our family vacation coming up, and I've been struggling with, like, I want six-pack abs, but I also want a six-pack of Blue Moon or Sam Adams and some tacos. And for the better part of 10 years, the Sam Adams and tacos have clearly been winning over the six-pack abs that I want. Um, no, but in, in all seriousness, I, I do struggle uh, with self-control. I think we all do. Uh, I've never actually had a beach body. Um, there's, there was a time in high school where me and my friends were at a grocery store. I forget what we were doing there, but they were teasing me about something. And the checkout lady was like, oh, honey, you're not chubby. You're just big boned. And I was like, what? I'm pretty sure this is chub. There's no bone in here. Um, but honestly, this, this last year, I have lost about 50 or 60 pounds, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I'll actually get into like how it happened, but no matter how much weight I lose, I'm never going to be able to catch up to Pastor Ken. He's won like three biggest loser challenges. He drops pounds like a British gambler. I don't know how he does it. He gains like 30 or 40 pounds, and then he'll lose like 60 pounds, and then wins all this money from these bigger lose, biggest loser challenges. Um, but I have lost some weight, and I'll talk a little bit about that because I think the the lessons that I learned in how I did that actually apply to what we're talking about today. Um, and we're talking about self-control, and I think it's something that we all do struggle with. Um, and I'm actually really curious on what everyone else struggles with. Um, so if you have your cell phone, you can go ahead and pull it out. If you don't have our church's app, you can go to thatsgrace.org app, and you can download it. If you do have it, you can just open it up, and the first tab on there is actually polls, and you can fill out a survey on what you struggle with but it's, it's anonymous, so it's not gonna be like, oh, Brian struggles with porn. You're not gonna, it's not gonna be like that. Everything's, there's just numbers, so it's, we're just gonna see a percentage of what everyone here struggles with. So you, while you do that, I'll do a quick recap of our series, so go ahead and pull out your phone and, and take that survey. Um, but like I said, we're in a, a series called Fruitology, and Fruitology really just means the study of fruit. And so what we've been looking at is a specific passage in Galatians that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and there are nine um, characteristics that are portrayed in someone's life who lets God's Spirit control, them, control their life and not their own desires control their life. Um, and so the very first week, well, there's nine total, but we only picked three. Um, we didn't want to do a nine-week series. We thought about doing a three-week series and really just pulling out the three that we thought would be hardest for us to actually live out in our day-to-day -day life. Um, and so the very first week, Ken talked about love and the four aspects of love or the four dimensions of love. And then Taylor talked about patience and how to have patience in a crazy world. Um, then we sort of took a break. It was a, Sean did a response to the craziness in Charlottesville, um, and it was an unplanned break in the series, but the way that he uh, talked about it uh, actually tied into the series really well. Um, in that passage of the fruits of the Spirit, he talks about works of the flesh and then fruits of the Spirit, and talked about, Sean talked about how as Christians, we should live completely differently than other people in the world. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, it was really, really good. You can go on our website and catch up on any of the 
previous messages. Um, and then this week, I'm going to wrap it up with self-control. Um, but I want to see uh, what everyone's struggling with here. Last night, everyone was struggling with uh, budgeting. I'm curious to see. And there we go. Oh, okay. So we, th this, more people here struggle with food and sweets than everyone else. So good, glad, just like me. Thank you. Um, but uh, God knew that we would struggle with things, whatever that, whatever that is in your life. God knew that we would have um, a hard time with self-control. And so the Bible actually has a lot to say about self-control. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you what the Bible says about self-control because the, how the world defines self-control and how the Bible defines self-control are almost polar opposites. So I want to share with you how the Bible defines self-control. And then I want to give you three super practical ways for you to increase that self-control in your life. Um, so first, I think when we define self-control and we look at how the world defines it and how the Bible defines it, I think two main areas um, come to mind. One is the source of self-control, and then the other is the motivation uh, in why we exercise self-control. So the world would say that the source of self-control is yourself. It's your willpower, it's your ambition, it's um, this like inner drive to do something, and if you want to exercise more of it, you have to be more disciplined in, in doing certain things. But then the motivation for exercising that discipline is uh, some sort of physical reward, right? So I'll give you some examples. You, uh, you want to work out to get the six-pack abs to be more attractive, or you want to start saving so that you can go on that vacation, or you want to uh, put your family on a strict budget so that you can buy that dream house, or um, if you're in high school and you play sports, you're going to work out so that you can be better on the field. Like there's a, the world would define self-control as, as doing something to get something. Um, but the way that the Bible defines self-control is, like I said, a polar opposite of that. Um, and so first we'll start with the source of biblical self-control. The source is God's Spirit and not ourself. Um, so if you want to turn to Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, this is kind of the main text that we've been looking at through this whole series, and this is where um, Paul is describing the fruits of the Spirit. And he says, but the Holy Spirit is the one that produces this kind of fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there we clearly see that Paul says that it's the Holy Spirit that's producing these things in your life. Um, there's another verse, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that says, uh, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline or self-control. So we can see clearly that the way that the Bible would define self-control would be that it comes from God's spirit and not our own drive or our own ambition. Um, so then let's look at the motivation behind self-control. The world would say that you exercise self-control to get a physical reward, but the Bible says that you exercise biblical self-control for a spiritual reward. Um, because as followers of God, we need to understand that the physical and the spiritual worlds are connected. Um, and in Matthew 16, I think, is where we can, uh, we can really get the, the biblical definition of self-control. 
Matthew 16, I'll kind of set it up before we read the verse, uh, read the two verses that we're going to read. But in Matthew 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, his, the closest followers to him, he's telling them, listen, I'm about ready. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And when we go there, uh, I'm actually going to be uh, beaten and killed and, and, and I'm, I'm going to die. And his disciples like start protesting, heck no, we won't go. And Peter, the loudmouth of the group, actually speaks up and says, like, that's never going to happen. And then this is Jesus' response to Peter. He responds to Peter's uh, kind of protest, and then he talks to the whole group of disciples. Um, so Jesus turns to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. And this is, this is the main part that I want to look at. You see things merely from a human's point of view and not God's point of view. So he addresses Peter, and then he turns to the rest of the crowd. And he says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Um, You must give up your own way. Some of your translations may say, deny yourself. And the idea here is that Jesus really is giving us the definition of biblical self-control. Because Jesus understood that he was going to have to go through physical pain, but that physical pain was going to have a spiritual reward. Right? He was going to have to go to Jerusalem and die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God. So he knew that the physical and the spiritual were connected, that he was going to have to go through temporary physical pain or discomfort, but that that physical pain or discomfort was going to have a spiritual reward. And then he turns and says to his disciples, to his followers, like, listen, if you want to live a healthy spiritual life, you need to exercise biblical self-control on a daily basis. You need to deny the things that your flesh wants so that you can follow me. Um, So biblical self-control, if we were to define it, is a physical pain or discomfort for a spiritual reward. And every day, our flesh, our fleshly desires produce um, thoughts, desires, dreams that we have to bring under the control of God. Right? So that's what Jesus is saying. Every day, if you're going to be a follower of me, you really have to take control of what your flesh wants and make it do what God's spirit wants instead. Um, if we want to live a healthy, life, healthy spiritual life, we need to exercise biblical self-control on a daily basis. Now, it's easy to say, but it's actually really hard to do, right? There's like this war inside us all the time. The six-pack abs or the six-pack of Sam Adams, right? There's that there's that war that goes on. And in Galatians, that, that passage that we read with the fruit of the Spirit, earlier in that same chapter, um, he actually talks about this. He says that there's this war that happens between your fleshly desires and God's Spirit that's, uh, that's in your life. And so they're constantly fighting with each other, and it makes it so that you can't do the things that you really want to do. In another passage of Scripture, uh, Paul talks about how he, he has this war inside of him where he wants to do right, but then he ends up doing wrong, and then the things that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing those things instead, and um, I, right, we all feel that. There's, there's things that we want to do, but we just end up not doing them. We end up doing the things that we don't want to do instead. Um, and in that passage in Galatians, when he talks about that war, he talks about if you end up letting the, the fleshly desires win that battle, then your life is going to look like uh, lustful pleasures, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, fighting, jealousy, anger, selfish ambitions, division, envy, drunkenness. 
when you let your fleshly desires win over God's spirit in your life, then that's what your life looks like. But if you let God's spirit win in your life, then you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we really are fighting this spiritual war in our lives. Um, and Paul talks about that in, a, in another, uh, in another section of scripture. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, it says, we are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons and not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. And in all the, um, in all the studying that I did for this message, uh, I came across uh, a verse in, in Proverbs that has impacted me the most of all the, the scriptures that I've been reading in, in preparation for this. And I know a lot of us read like a proverb a day because um, there's 31 proverbs, so it's pretty easy just to read one a day. And when you do that, sometimes you can just kind of go right past this verse. Um, but I, I want to look at this verse, and I want to challenge you guys to uh, write down this verse and then try to memorize it. Put it on a note card or put it somewhere that you'll see it. Um, because I think, uh, at least for me in the last couple of weeks, this verse has really uh, helped change the way that I view, um, uh, view that, that mix of the spiritual and the physical in my life. Um, and so it's Proverbs 25, 28. And it says, a man without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Like I said, it's really easy just to kind of like glaze through that and say, oh, that, that makes sense. But when you really start to think about what that means, right, think about back in the ancient world when cities had walls and you had to defend yourself from the enemy, if you didn't have a wall, what would happen? The enemy would just run right in and conquer your, conquer your city, no problem, there's no defenses. But when your city had a wall, it allowed you time, it allowed, uh, uh, it allowed you time to have a response to the enemy. It kept the enemy away long enough for you to fight back. And I think that's exactly what exercising biblical self-control does in our life. It gives us that buffer between what we want and what our fleshly desires want, so that when uh, that desire for something that we know is, is wrong comes into our life, that biblical self-control gives us that distance, that separation that we really can fight back. Um, developing biblical self-control gives us that protection against our fleshly desires. Um, this won't be on the screens, but in 2 Peter, um, it talks about how God has given us everything we need to live a godly life, and we need to make every effort to add on to what God's already given us. Peter says we need to make every effort to add on to that self-control. And I think a lot of the times, I know I've, I've personally uh, believed this, and I've heard other people express the same opinion, um, but clearly in that verse, it, it shows us that the way that I was thinking was wrong. Sometimes I've, I've said things like, man, I prayed that God would take away my desire for fill in the blank, whatever that thing is that you, that you struggle with. I prayed that God would take away that desire, but he just didn't. Right? But that verse clearly says that God has already given us everything we need to live a successful godly life but we need to add self-control. And I think the lie that we believe is that sometimes we blame God for our lack of effort, right? Sometimes God's already given us what we need, but we haven't exercised or used the tools that God's given us. 
And so we end up blaming God when really it's our fault that we keep falling into this same sin. God's already prepared a way out. And so in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13, it says, the temptations in your life are no different from what other people have experienced, but God is faithful and he will not allow a temptation in your life to be more than what you can stand. See, God's already given us the tools to fight that spiritual battle, but sometimes we're just not using the tools that God already gave us, and we end up blaming God when really it's our fault that we're not using what God already gave us. Um, so I was gonna tell you how, how I came about to lose this weight. So I went, uh, I went to the doctor, got my physical, and the doctor was like, hey, you're overweight. And I was like, what? It's like, thank you, Dr. Obvious. Um, that should be a new show on NBC right after Dr. Oz is Dr. Obvious. Um, but I, you know, he said, have you been like this your whole life? And I was like, honestly, you know, I, I don't remember a time where I wasn't overweight. And he was like, let me, tell me what you eat. Um, Cause he thought it maybe was dietary. And so uh, honestly, I actually eat pretty healthy because my wife cooks everything and I'm too lazy to make anything else. So I just end up eating whatever she makes. And so most of the time it's this quinoa, kale, something or other, and I'm like, what in the world? But I can't say that it's disgusting because if I say it's disgusting, then all of a sudden the kids are like, this is gross. And then Chrissy gets mad at me. And... But the one thing I won't do, I won't do like any tofu burgers. No, tofu, that, it makes me angry. Um, but so I, I told him what I ate and he was like, man, that's, that's weird. You're not like, you're not overeating. You're not eating bad things. And he's like, let me do some blood work um, and I'll give you a call back. So like a week later, he gives me a call and he's like, hey, I, I looked at your blood work and I found something interesting with your metabolism. And I was like, okay. He said, what you've actually done because uh, I, I always thought to lose weight, like you have to eat less or you have to change your diet or you have to do something. And so over the last like 10 years, I've honestly just gotten used to not eating as much. And he said, what you've actually done is you've actually tricked your body into starvation mode and your body is holding on to every single calorie that you take in and it's never letting anything go because you've, you've put it into starvation mode. And I was like, okay, but what does that mean? He said, honestly, you, you should start eating more and you should drink a lot of water. And so for the last year, or since the beginning of the year, that's what I've been doing. I've been snacking throughout the day, and I've been drinking so much water that I have to pee like every 30 minutes. So looking at the time, I got about 10 minutes left before I have to pee. Um, but so, so, and I know some people, I've told some, some people have come up to me like, man, you've lost a lot of weight. What have you been doing? I was like, you do not want to hear what I've been doing because it'll make you mad. I've actually been eating more, and then they just walk away and they're angry at me. Um, but I think the way that I looked at dieting is the way a lot of us look at self-control. We look at self-control and we're like, we need to stop doing this, stop doing that. And we make this list of all the negative things that we need to stop doing. But I think instead we should look at it, yes, you can stop doing wrong, but when you stop doing wrong, you need to start doing something right. And so I think that's the way we need to look at self-control. We can stop doing X, Y, Z or whatever it is, but instead we should look at, yes, stop those things, but what are some things that we can do that would, what are some things that we can start doing to exercise that biblical self-control in our life? And so with the time left, I want to give you three things that you can start doing right now today that will help you build biblical self-control in your life. Um, and so the first one is fasting. And a lot of us have heard of, of fasting, but maybe we don't really understand what it is. Um, there's lots of examples of fasting in the Bible. 
Um, and most of the time, I think when we think of fasting, we think of something private that we do alone and we don't really tell anyone. Um, but if you look at uh, all the examples of fasting in the Bible, most of them are actually corporate fasting. It's groups of people that get together for a specific purpose and they come up with, uh, you know, that they're going to not eat for a certain amount of time for a specific reason. And so what they do is every time their body tells them that they're hungry, they see that urge and use that as a trigger or a reminder to start praying about whatever that thing is. Um, and so as, as followers of God, we need to understand that there's a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world. So fasting, a physical pain or discomfort, has a spiritual reward. And so uh, when we fast, when we master our appetite for food, it makes it so much easier to, to, to master our appetite for our fleshly desires. When we can learn to tell our body no to what our body is craving, it makes it so much easier to say no to what our fleshly desires crave. Because self-control has, um, has a weird connection. When you have self-control in one area, that, that self-control can transfer into another area of your life. So if we can exercise biblical self-control in the idea of fasting, telling our bodies no, then it makes it so much easier to tell our fleshly desires no when we have that urge to do something that is against what God is, is trying to tell us to do. Does that make sense? Um, so one is fasting. The next one is tithing. And some of you are like, oh, snap, he's going to talk about money. I am going to talk about money, but we need to remember that it's not about the paper, right? The physical and the spiritual worlds are connected. So tithing doesn't really have to do with your money. It has to do with your heart. The Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. God knows that. Um, and so tithing really is just giving the first 10% of our income to God. Um, and all throughout Scripture, we see um, different examples of tithing. But in, uh, in Jewish culture, there was even, yes, they were to tithe from their income, but it wasn't about the income. It was about a spiritual or a physical pain or discomfort for a spiritual reward. And so there was lots of other things that they were supposed to do to um, budget their resources for the benefit of other people. One of the laws said that if you were a farmer, you owned a field, you couldn't actually harvest from the corners of your field. You needed to budget your resources and live on less of what you would actually produce and the corners of the field were left for the widows, the orphans, the homeless, the foreigners, the immigrants, the travelers. You were to live a life in such a way that you produced more than, than you needed and your extra margin was for the benefit of everyone else. And so tithing is not about your money, tithing is about your heart. When we learn to surrender our need to control our bank account, it makes it so much easier to give control to God of every other area of our life. Um, and the last one that I want to share with you, the last way to exercise biblical self-control, um, which is the one that I, I struggle with the most, actually, is a Sabbath. Um, and a Sabbath actually means just to rest. Um, but I never really understood um, what Sabbath meant. Like, I knew that it was an example of what God had done through uh, creation. He created six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He, he rested. And so I knew that that was kind of an example that we should live. And Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, so it's like don't steal, don't kill, 
take a day of rest. But I think it's just easy to pass right by that, especially as a pastor. You work on Sundays, and so you have to find another day. And so usually I take Fridays off, but honestly, um, I don't do very well at, at taking a day of rest. I end up using my day off to get all the other things that I want to get done, all the other things on my to-do list instead of actually obeying God and taking a day of rest. Um, one of the things that uh, probably most influenced my idea of Sabbath um, was a podcast that I listened to. There's a guy named uh, Michael Hyatt, and he's, um, he was a, a CEO of a publishing company, and now he retired, and he's a Christian, but he does, like, business coaching, um, but he's not, like, a Christian business coach. He coaches everyone. Either way, um, so his podcast, I was listening to it, and I don't think it was even the, um, the point of his whole podcast. It was, like, uh, you know, a, a sentence in his podcast, and I, I just stopped it because it just, it convicted me so much. He talked about this idea of success versus, versus significance, and the idea is that in our life, we're obsessed with being successful, and however you define successful, it's going to end up being selfish. Um, I want to do better at this. I want to make more money. I want to get better at my career. I want to climb the corporate ladder. All these things that we want to be successful in are all pointed at ourself. He said, but when you shift your life, instead of looking at success, when you shift your life and ask yourself, not am I successful, but am I, have I been significant today? All of a sudden you start thinking in terms of relationships. You start thinking in terms of things that will last past your lifetime, right? And so for me, that was really convicting to me because I end up using my Sabbath, my day off, my day of rest, I end up using it to get all the other things that I want to get done. Instead of using that time, I end up trying to be more successful with my day off instead of trying to be more significant with my day off. And so when I, when I look at being more significant, the things that come to my mind at least are my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, and my relationship with my kids. Those are the things that will have a, a much, uh, it, it will have an impact long after I'm gone, right? My relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, and honestly, my, the spiritual relationship with my friends and neighbors. Those are the things that are going to last. And so for me, what I've really been trying to do is, on my Sabbath, is, is giving up control of my to-do list and my personal success and looking at what God would say would be a significant impact in other people's life. Um, so the three things that we talked about, fasting, tithing, and Sabbathing, I think. I don't know if you can turn that into an ING. Um, but they're, they're keystone habits. And um, if you ever read uh, The Power of Habit, it's a, it's a best-selling book. But he talks about keystone habits. And keystone habits are a habit that once you get this one thing right, everything else after that is gonna be lined up perfect, it's gonna be level, it's gonna be straight. And so I think when you look at fasting, tithing, and taking a Sabbath, those are like keystone habits that will have a domino effect on every other area of your life. Because if you look at fasting, tithing, and Sabbathing, um, those are the things that we hold on to uh, most in our life. They're the, thing, the things that we hold on to the tightest in our life. It's our body, our money and our time. And I think if we, can, uh, if we can learn to give God control of our body, our money, and our time, then everything else in life will be so much easier. 
Um, so let's pray, because I have to pee. <laughs> um, so with everyone's head bowed uh, and eyes closed, I'll kind of lead you through a prayer, and then I'll, I'll wrap up with prayer at the end. Um, but in this moment, just, just ask God to help you identify an area in your life where you're lacking self-control. When God points that area out to your life, confess it to him that, it, that it's been wrong that you have not given him control of that area. And then next, uh, ask God to help you see things through a spiritual lens and not just a physical lens. God, thank you so much um, for giving us every tool that we need um, to win uh, the spiritual battle that's happening between our flesh and your spirit. Um, thanks for providing us uh, everything we need to live a successful, a successful life. Um, God, help us to stop seeing everything through uh, just a physical lens. God, but help us to see our circumstances in light of a spiritual lens. God, help us to understand that the physical and the spiritual are connected. And God, help us to endure um, temporary physical pain or discomfort for a spiritual reward. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.